1 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, and once you're there, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking as mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that, Lord, you would bless our time together this morning. I pray that you would use me, God, as I preach this morning, that it would be uh, directing all of us to the Word of God. It would be directing our hearts and our minds to you, Lord Jesus, that we would be conformed and challenged and encouraged and changed by the Word of God into the image of of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would live lives honoring you, glorifying you, and pleasing to the life that you have called us. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And be seated. I wasn't entirely sure how to introduce this message. And I think that's because at first it was kind of hard thinking of a single point, really, to kind of thread through all of this. Because Paul talks about milk and solid food and maturity and then moves into the ministry that he has and the ministry Apollos has. So I thought I would start by just asking a question. A rhetorical question. I like the rhetorical questions. That way no one says anything wrong. And I don't have to worry about that. What is your goal in life? When you look toward the finish line, what do you expect to see? Or maybe even a better question is, what do you want to see? And then in addition to that, when you reach that finish line, what do you want to be able to look back to? So we've been talking a lot about the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Paul's been kind of 
uh, pursuing that idea up until this point. Well, actually, he's continuing in this point. But what I want to point out is that now Paul begins addressing the practicality of that. See, there's a lot of theory, and thankfully we've had application for the past uh, few weeks going through 1 Corinthians, but this idea of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. We can make that into a good theology, but really what Paul is concerned about is what does that look like on the ground now? And so, really, the first point in our passage is verses 1 through 4. Let me read it again for you. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able to receive it. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? See, when Paul first came to them, he had to speak to them as unbelievers. And then when they were believers, he had to speak to them like infants. Right? There's a level of when we talk to each other about the gospel, we have to meet each other where we are at. And God does this for us, does he not? When he confronts us with a sin or a problem in our life, it is gracious of him that he does not lay the entire burden of our life on our shoulders immediately, but gradually over time continues to, re- to reveal areas of flesh and where we are walking as mere men. Could you imagine, or women, could you imagine if the Lord just opened us up immediately to everything that we had done wrong and spoke to us sternly in that moment, we would not be able to handle that. So Paul is referring back to Acts chapter 18 where he came to Corinth And he first went to the synagogue, and then when they rejected Christ Jesus, he then went to the Gentiles and brought them the word of the Lord. And he had to bring it to them as infants. But notice what he says. I could not speak to you as spiritual men, right? But as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. He says, indeed, even now you are not able. Why? Why? What is the comparison between what Paul would have had to have done at the beginning in Acts chapter 18 when he goes to Corinth in comparison to the people that he's talking to now? Why are they still infants? Because they were men of the flesh. He says, you are unable to understand the things that are spiritual. And he had been building this this idea up to this point. There are things that are spiritually appraised that the natural man cannot understand. In fact, the natural man sees it and it's foolishness. So he had to start with the milk of the gospel. 
Jesus was the Christ. Believe, repent, be baptized. And Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians that he determined to know nothing among them except what? Christ crucified. Not persuasive words of wisdom. Not a a kind of message that's going to get everybody up and cheering and just get an emotional response to the gospel. The basics, the milk. Paul comes to them in fear and trembling. And I want to add something here that I see, which is this idea, which I've I've heard um, from multiple teachers in my past, whether it's uh, through listening to sermons online or even in seminary, but this idea of what you win them with is what you win them to. See, if I come to you and I draw out of you just simply an emotional response, right? I probably couldn't because I'm not that good of a speaker, but if you brought like a good charismatic speaker up here who could really draw an audience, he can get everybody feeling a certain way and riled up, and he can draw out that emotional response, what you win them with is what you win them to. What they have been drawn to is an emotional feeling. And so when their emotional feelings take them away from the gospel, guess what they follow? The feelings, because that's what they were one with. Same thing with this idea of apologetics and evidence. Well, let me point to you the evidence of here, of how we know that the flood happened, and the evidence of this, and the evidence of that. Well, don't get me wrong, that's all well and good. But that's not what makes someone a believer. Because then what happens when somebody else comes along and is more persuasive with the evidence? Hey, you know what? You actually don't know what you're talking about when you talk about geography or geology. Because I'm a geologist, and I'll run circles around you. Right? We, so we can't rely on the things of the flesh to draw people into spiritual things, because what you win them with is what you win them to. So Paul, he doesn't come with persuasive rhetoric, because guess what? If you're won over by persuasive rhetoric, what happens when someone else comes along and is more persuasive? Paul says, I relied on fear and trembling, knowing nothing among you except for Christ Jesus and him crucified. But yet, like he said, they're still at this point of infants eating milk. Now, why, why is this such a... I love this analogy because the reality is, what happens to an infant if you give them solid food? They'll choke. They'll die. See, it's their mother's milk that contains the right amount of nutrients and vitamins, right, that the infant needs. Neglect to feed the child the milk that it needs, and it will die. Try to circumvent the milk that it needs or have tainted milk, and it will be disabled. Sometimes you see if, if, if a child isn't isn't taken care of and isn't given the proper nutrients, it has lasting effects for the rest of his life. So in reality, if you neglect the milk, which is this idea of no gospel at all, the child dies. If you try to give a a, a milk that 
is tainted, then this is a false or tainted gospel, and that's what it will do as well. We needed the right milk. We needed to start with milk. We couldn't just jump into solid food. Now, this seems doctrinal in some ways. Milk is the gospel, and so maybe like what we tend to do is we think, okay, so solid food must be like Calvinism. And then like more solid food is like, you know, when you start getting to the big words, like superlapsarianism, right? And everyone's like, what? Yeah, that's not solid food. <laughs> and Paul wouldn't know what that meant either. Solid food is in some sense a deeper theology, but it's not a deeper systematic theology. It's not knowing more words. It's not, it's not just having better doctrine. The solid food that Paul's talking about is wisdom. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Solid food is discernment. Solid food is wisdom. And the reason I can tell you that confidently that it's not simply doctrine is because Hebrews, if you've ever read it, it can be a pretty wild and tough letter, doctrinally. And yet he's saying, this is the basics. These are the elementary principles of our faith. This is the milk. So solid food can't just be more difficult doctrine that we've come to understand. Solid food is wisdom and discernment that we've gained. Hebrews and 1 Corinthians are full of doctrine, and yet that's called milk. I would say this, that Paul's test of maturity, has, he's already said in 1 Corinthians 2.16, the test of our maturity, the test of our wisdom, the test of our ability to handle solid food is if we have put on the mind of Christ. And he says that the, the Corinthians are still too immature for solid food because they are fleshly and they walk as mere men. See, they're not ready, they're not, not ready for solid food because they're not smart enough. When we look at our lives and we think whether we're, not, whether we're at milk or whether we're at solid food, it's not about our ability to understand concepts of Scripture. It's because they looked and thought like the world. And so Paul says that the proof of this, in verse 3, the proof that they are still fleshly is there is still jealousy and strife among them. There are divisions that still exist. 
And so I could imagine Paul saying, so what needs to happen is you need to be killing these things. You need to be killing the jealousy and the strife and the divisions among you. Be killing sin so that you can feast on solid food. What keeps us today here at the Oasis, what keeps us from solid food is that we have not yet feasted on the nutrients of the milk. And therefore, because we have not yet feasted on the nutrients of the milk, we don't have the wisdom of God, we don't have the mind of Christ being put on, and we don't have the discernment of good and evil. Think of the church today. Okay, I would say, looking at my life, okay, which I had to wrestle with this greatly this week, this idea of, of milk and solid food in my, my own life and where I see that taking place, but I can confidently say that I have more unity with a Presbyterian minister who loves the church than with a Baptist minister who won't deal with sin in his church, even though we may have agreement on doctrine. I have more unity with an older Christian man who goes boldly to fight abortion than I do with a young peer who is afraid to offend people. I have more unity with our brothers and sisters in Uganda than I do with the ones who stormed the Capitol and rioted all summer. Now, what is this unity built on? It can't simply be built on doctrine. Because doctrinally, I line up more with the Baptist minister. Now think of your own lives. Where are the areas in our lives where we are not ready for the mature things of Christ because we are still giving in to our flesh? I want us to think about it this way, okay? Think of your life and think of the areas in your life where you find it difficult to discern what is good and what is evil. Think of the Places in your life where it's difficult to know how to display godly wisdom. It's because there are areas in our lives where we are still walking as mere men. There are still areas in our lives that we are given over and living according to the flesh. And now for each of us, even as we grow in Christ, we're going to find these areas. This is why it's so, such a blessing that God doesn't just lay it all at the front for us, right? Because we'd be so overwhelmed. But as we grow in Christ, we can probably genuinely look and say, yes, there are areas in my life where because of what Christ has done, I have conquered the flesh. I can see that I'm walking in the will of God. I have discernment and wisdom that is growing But I also recognize that there are areas in my life that I look at and say, you know what? I'm really struggling with the flesh here still. Now, there's two issues I see here. The first is that I think that we need to be careful as Christians, careful that we don't think we are more mature than we are. I don't want us to think that we are more mature in Christ than we actually are. And, you know, when I was preparing this, I kept thinking of, you know, in my own life, I have this ability, and uh, when it was in high school, it worked out pretty well. Uh, As an adult, not so much. 
this ability to coast. You guys know what I mean by coast? Right? I can do just enough. Right? I can get, pick up just enough speed and then I can coast. I can get through the rest of the semester. You know, but as an adult, that doesn't work out. As a Christian, that doesn't work well. Sometimes this is what we do as Christians. We, we think we are more mature than we are, and we think we have this ability to coast. It's like we're walking on a path, okay? And we think, hey, this is the right path. I'm going the right direction, so I don't need to pay attention anymore to where I'm going until we find ourselves on the edge of a cliff. We are not as mature and wise as we tend to think we are. And Paul recognizes this, and he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be warned. The tendency of the flesh is to make us coast, to think that we are doing better than we are. To think that, you know what, I have graduated into solid food, I can, I'm good. And what this does is it creates a false piety in us. We think we're more righteous than we actually are. And so I just want to say, if if that resonates with you, the Lord sees it. See, because we can think we are mature as we are. Like we can we can put on this face, we can pretend that we are more mature, we can even fool ourselves into this idea that no, we're not coasting, but I am good. But we are exposed to the Lord. We cannot hide our immaturity from him. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I, the Lord, cannot see him? In Job 34, 21 to 25. For his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. There is no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. For God has no need to consider a man further, that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without investigation and sets others in their place. Thus, knowing their works, he overturns them in the night, and they are crushed. The Lord we, we, I mean, he sees every crevice in us, the deepest, darkest areas that we don't even venture in our hearts. He sees it. We are totally exposed to him. So if we walk in a false piety, if we walk with a false maturity, we may be fooling ourselves, but the Lord is not fooled. So we need to stop lying to ourselves about how mature we are in Christ. And the first step to that is admitting that we tend to lie to ourselves about how mature we are in Christ. Let us humbly recognize myself, every Christian, that it is very, very easy for us to lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that we are doing better off than we are. And the reason why I bring it up so strongly is not that I don't think that Christians can mature very well. Of course I do. And I think Christians can become very aware of where they are with the Lord. But the reason I bring this up so strongly is because if we aren't aware and we are deceiving ourselves, we will fall. So 
So that's the first issue that keeps us from actually maturing is thinking that we already are mature when we're not. The second issue, though, is that most Christians are just simply satisfied with milk because they're too lazy to mature to solid food. That child has to wean at some point. If the child does not wean, there will be a point where the milk is not enough nutrients. It'll make the child weak and eventually die. Christians, we need to we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to be growing in Christ. I think sometimes we let ourselves get too distracted by the comforts of the world around us. For many of us, it's probably an issue of putting away childish things. For many of us, it's an issue of not wanting to conquer the flesh. And for a lot of us, it's also a lack of consistent discipline in our lives. And I would say that's both spiritual discipline and physical discipline. So what we need to do, and this will lead us into our next point here, what we need to do is be seizing our servanthood. Okay? Seizing our servanthood. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, this is the word that Paul uses here in verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Now, the word that Paul uses here here for servants is not doulos, which is translated sometimes as slave or bondservant. The word is actually where we get our English word, deacon. And this idea of deacon, in this context here and how it could be understood, is actually the work of lowly class. It's a servant kind of working. And I think it's interesting that Paul would use this here with an audience in Corinth that he knows is thinking according to worldly standards. So a servant isn't too high up on the totem pole of what people would want to be. But that's exactly what Paul says. As a minister of the gospel, I am a servant. I am of this lowly class according to the world. Let me ask you, what prestige is there for anybody who spends their life trying to please fools? I think of Ray Comfort. And if you know who Ray Comfort is, he's an evangelist, and he's known for this way of the master where he goes out and he, he brings a camera and he has a microphone and he's very whimsical and he's talking to people about the gospel. It's great. But I've seen literally hundreds of responses in those videos and in the comments and in other videos back to him that say that he's a fool. He doesn't know science. His approach hardly works. He's a goofball. You know what I would say to that? I would say to us Christians who see that and are offended by that, that we need to be ready to be fools for Christ. Paul already said the gospel is foolishness to the world. So if you're bringing the true gospel and living as a true Christian, guess what you are going to look like to the world? 
It's not going to be prestigious. You're going to look like a fool. And you will be treated like a fool. So we need to give up our pride and give up our prestige. We cannot have the approval of God and man. Paul says, what are Apollos? What is Paul? What am I? What are you? A servant. Amen? A servant. See, a world that is so, the world we live in today, it's a world that is so concerned with with self-esteem and being the best that you can be and being proud of who we are. But, But who are we? What are we? We are of the lowly class. We are the ministers of the gospel. If you want a high calling, then you need to embrace the low calling. You have been called to be a servant, a minister of the gospel, an ambassador for Jesus Christ, an ambassador for a kingdom that the rest of the world does not want to recognize. I would say in order to do this, one of the things we need to be praying is for us ourselves to decrease and for Christ our Lord to increase. And so we must pray, Lord, keep me from my fleshly desires. Make me a servant of you, taking every opportunity that you give me to proclaim the greatness of your name. Most of us do not move on from milk because we see ourselves much too highly. Do you want to move on from milk to solid food? Then you need to seize your servanthood. And so our prayer every day should be begging the Lord, bring me lower. Lord, bring me lower. Help me to recognize who you are compared to who I am. Because the Bible tells us that when we do that, do you know what the Lord does when he brings us low? He's exalting you. See, when we are brought low and the world looks at us as brought low, God is bringing us higher. He is drawing us closer to him. He is giving us solid food. He is creating a mind of Christ growing within us that you would have the wisdom and discernment to understand what is foolish, what is wise, what is good, what is evil. What do you want me to do, Lord? But if you think too highly of yourself, you're not going to know. This is why it's so, you know, when, when we bring the gospel to somebody, this is why it's so important that we begin with the bad news before we get to the good news. Because the good news doesn't make sense unless we have the bad news. The bad news is who we are in the flesh compared to our Lord. He is perfect, holy, righteous, and he made you. 
He made you to worship him and honor him. But what are we? We are wretched, rebellious creatures who decided instead to rip the Lord off his throne in our hearts and in our minds and put ourselves up instead. So of course we need to be brought low because the gospel says you need to be put off your throne and God needs to take that place. And this is hard to do. It's humbling because this continues then to expose us for who we truly are. It takes forsaking ourselves. It takes denying to self. It takes dying to self daily. But it's the only way to know the deep work of Christ. See, I would say the sad reality is that most Christians don't want to get in the mud with Jesus. In fact, I would say that most Christians don't even want to get their hands dirty. It takes courage to be brought low. It takes courage to do the work of Christ on this earth. It takes love. And it takes forsaking our comfort and our self. And I would say this, I think some of the lies that we tend to believe is depending on when you were saved or what you've gone through in your life, I think some of the lies that you may be hearing is, you know what, I've had a hard enough life. I've been brought low because I've had a very difficult childhood. I've had a very difficult adulthood. And so now let me just focus and ride this thing out until heaven. I think another lie, too, is that i got a lot going on right now. And i got to focus on me just a little bit longer here, and then I'll be ready to work with Jesus. Those are lies. And I'll tell you that if you keep doing that, you'll miss out on the greatest gift that can be given, which is a life that is dedicated to your Lord. It's hard, but the reward is great. Right? So seize your servanthood. And this, this takes us really into our last point here, which is loving the labor. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. See, so unfortunately, right, some of us will not move on to solid food because we refuse to join in in the work of Christ. We refuse to be made low. But we have been given everything for life and godliness. We have been given the tools we've needed for the labor, for the tasks that God has called us to. And I would say for Christians today that if you're looking at your life and you look at someone like Paul or Peter or you look at the saints of the past and you say, my, what super Christians. I would say the reason why we are not like so many courageous saints of the past is because we refuse to be servants for the tasks that God has given us here and now. 
Paul understood that we are given different gifts. He's going to talk about it in 1 Corinthians 12, but he even brings it up here. Different gifts for the spreading of Christ's kingdom. This is why he uses this analogy for uh, him and Apollos. Apollos is an eloquent speaker, right? He's a great preacher. He waters. Paul, he's a missionary. He's a church planter. He plants. But it is God who gives the growth. This is why Paul says, but neither of us, Apollos or I, are anything. Because it is God who gives the growth. I would say that this is the foolishness of prestige and trying to look good for the world. And I see this even with Christians today. I had someone even talk to me recently about how I look to the world. Am I drawing people toward Christ or pushing them away from Christ? And quite frankly, in some sense, we have to be careful about how we're phrasing that question and really what we're using to qualify that. Because the gospel and things of God do look foolishness to the world. It will not look prestigious. It will not look very nice. It will not look loving in some instances because it will not meet the world's definitions of those things. So even at our best, we are nothing because only God can do the growing. Only God can do the saving. But God has given us to be servants for this task. And so whether it's planting or watering, each of us has been given a task by God for the purpose of his kingdom. We've been given a labor. And Paul tells us that while no Christian right here, Apollos, they're, they're one. No Christian's work is necessarily greater than another's. Each will see, receive an award according to how they have labored. So I will say also, if you want to graduate from milk into solid food, you need to start loving the labor that Christ has called you to. I'm going to just actually skip ahead here just because of time. And I want to hit some uh, application. Actually, one thing real quick that I want to say is um, this idea of rewards. We'll get into that in more detail next week, but Paul does bring it up here. You will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You will receive your reward according to your labor. Now, um, the reason I want to bring this up is because you are allowed to be excited for the rewards. Okay? I want to, it may sound silly that I even have to say it, but I just want to say it again. You can be excited, and you should be looking forward to the rewards that await those who do the hard labor of the gospel work. This idea of doing things without, like, this motivation of I do it, Regardless, I don't need the reward, right? I just do it because it's the right thing to do, and that's the true reward. That's not a biblical idea. That's not. The reason why it's not is because that's actually something that is closer to Greek philosophy than it is to the Bible. It's something closer to what Immanuel Kant had said about morality than it is to what the Bible says, which is that 
you should look forward to the rewards because the rewards, the rewards will be great and abundant for those who do the work of Christ. You can be excited for the rewards. The rewards can be a great motivation. And that's also because the greatest reward of all is the union that we have with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But there's a reason that Paul talks about the reigning that we'll have with Christ and the inheritance that we have with Christ. There's a reason why Old and New Testament brings up rewards and blessings over and over again. Not earthly blessings like moving from a Ford to a Cadillac, but the blessings that await for us at the finish line. And this is why I said at the beginning, like when you get there, what do you expect to see? What do you want to see? The problem is not those who want to be rewarded by God. The problem is those who want to be rewarded by men. That's the issue. That's the bad motivation. So, what is the labor we are to love? Okay, well, it is not quietly going about your life as a Christian. It is not doing random acts of kindness. It is not trying to look like the most moral person or the most behaved person or the most prestigious person. The labor that we are to love is using our talents, our gifts, our resources to spread the growth of the kingdom of God. And so what I, thank you. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to encourage you before we end this morning. Because sometimes in order to move from milk to solid food, we have to be encouraged with the fact that we are actually moving. Right? Sometimes in order to be, to be growing in Christ and to be sanctified, we have to be affirmed and encouraged that we are growing. And so let me tell you, the Lord sees you. He sees you. giving rides to people so that they can get to church and to job interviews, the Lord sees you. Helping brothers learn to fix their finances, the Lord sees you. Staying up all night praying for a lost spouse or for a hurting child or a lost child, the Lord sees you. Coming early on a Sunday morning to shovel the snow, the Lord sees you. Giving up the job you really want because, you'd not, because you know it's not where the Lord wants you, the Lord sees you. Obeying God by gathering for Sunday service and Bible study even when you are tired or busy, the Lord sees you. Giving financially to the church, the Lord sees you. Sending out a gospel letter to a friend even if it means losing that friend, the Lord sees you. Giving up a Saturday to help a brother or sister move or fix their house or fix their car, the Lord sees you. Going to Planned Parenthood week after week when it would be easier to stay in bed, the Lord sees you. Taking the courage to step to confront a loved one on a sin pattern that you see in their life, the Lord sees you. Opening your home for people to feel loved and welcomed, the Lord sees you. Giving up luxury so that you can focus on training your children in godliness, the Lord sees you. Not running away when you feel persecuted or wrongly treated or betrayed, the Lord sees you. 
wrestling against a temptation to sin that is so strong that it physically hurts to deny it, the Lord sees you. Patiently discipling someone who pushes your buttons and patiently being discipled by someone who pushes your buttons, the Lord sees you. Of course, we have to grow. And of course, we need to be examining ourselves and seeing the areas in our life that maybe we think we're more mature than we are, and we need to think a little less highly of ourselves. But I hope that you can be encouraged as a Christian that as you look at your life, you can see the work that God has been doing. I hope that you can look at your life and say, Not perfectly, but I'm working. I seize the servanthood. I love the labor. And do not think that the Lord doesn't see it. He sees it. You can be encouraged by that. And you will be rewarded for that, even though I already said it. For those who know, though, that they have not been a servant to the Lord, for those who know that they have not been laboring for the kingdom. I would just ask that you would throw yourself at the foot of the cross. That this would be a time where you humbly recognize that you've been thinking too highly of yourself. That you have been too self-focused. That you have not labored for the kingdom or graduated onto solid food in areas of your life simply because You don't want to. And it's too much work. And it's easier to coast. Throw yourself at the foot of the cross and beg the Lord to break you and use you. And I would say that for all of us Christians, all of us in here who recognize the areas in our life where we still see the flesh, where we still see we're not there in solid food and we're still wrestling with walking as mere men in areas of our life, that we would come and bring those things to the foot of the cross as well and beg the Lord to break us of those and use us for his kingdom. And so now I want to pray, and as I pray, if Jay and Greg could come up for uh, communion, this would be a good time to get with the Lord, to bring ourselves before him, to bring those areas of our life to him before we come and partake at the table together. And let me just say this, as we say every week, but this is a table that is reserved for believers. If you are not a believer, I would first just say, why not? Get before the Lord now and enter into his kingdom confess your sin, repent, and accept his forgiveness, and then come take the table with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would, as your children, grow in godliness. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged by the ways that we have seen you work in our lives, where we have seen our laboring in love, our serving you, for the kingdom, Lord. And I pray, God, for this time of communion, that it would be a time of remembering the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life, 
who died on the cross for our sins, and through his death and resurrection, he conquered sin and death. Lord, and I pray that as we partake in communion, not only would we remember that and reflect on that, but then we would celebrate, Lord, in who we are now because of the victory you have won. And that it would be a time of proclaiming the gospel to one another with the hope and excitement and anticipation for your return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.